the Fed, the bonds, and what's this about stagflation? It's Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. We are glad you're here. Got a lot packed in this next hour. We can review about to come up. We're going to talk about the silver lining of delaying retirement. Ask Annex is on the way. We're going to talk about the right fit between you and an investment partner like Annex Wealth Management. Toward the end of the show, private equity. What is it and how might it work for Annex private clients? I'm Danny Clayton. Derek Felsky, Chief Investment Officer, is here. Hey. Hi, Danny. And Dave Spano, our President and CEO. Welcome to you. Yeah, thanks, Danny. And thanks, folks. You know, there was a lot of news this week. And of course, the biggest news was the Fed meeting. It's something we talked about for nearly a month, Derek, that we were anticipating in this state. And the Fed did what we thought they were going to do. Right. And they, they left interest rates unchanged. But what spooked the markets was the Fed basically suggested that rates could be higher for longer in, in 2023 and 2024. They also raised their GDP forecast and actually lowered their unemployment forecast. So the reason they're going to keep rates higher for longer is the economy is stronger than they expected. And you're this thing called the dot plots, and there's 19 votes on the committee. And of the 19, 12 thought they were going to raise rates again, perhaps even this year. That was a shocker. That was to, to some people. I mean, you and I had both said that the, the market was silly to believe the Fed was going to be cutting rates in 2023, given the persistence of inflation and the likelihood that oil prices could could surge again. And that's certainly what's occurred. Uh, some people suggest that they really aren't dot plots. They're more like dart plots because the Fed really doesn't know where interest rates are going to be a year from now, just as they didn't last year. So I would caution investors not to overreact to what they're hearing from headlines about what the Fed's going to do in terms of interest rates. Dart plots. I like that. And let's talk about inflation for a second. The housing inflation numbers are coming down but energy, as you enlightened us on, is going up. And, you know, we've seen some barrel cuts from a number of companies, and that's something we're going to have to watch. And by the way, it's not just the companies, do they cut oil, but there's outside influences like perhaps a hurricane or Russia. All of these things could influence the price of oil. Inventories are at very low, almost dangerously low levels. So the possibility of some sort of shock, I saw that on Friday, uh, JP Morgan suggests that oil prices may go as high as 100 to $150, which certainly would support uh, energy stocks, generally speaking, but the risks of a, of a diminished strategic petroleum reserve and geopolitical accidents and or some sort of shock, whether it's weather related or something else, certainly exists. And one of the reasons why people are cautious right now with regards to inflation. Let's switch topics. And of course, September is a seasonally weak month and the market has really kind of been in a bad mood the last couple of weeks, but it's not a surprise to us. We talked about this just a few weeks ago. Right now, only 35% of the stocks in the S&P 500 are outperforming uh, the benchmark over the last 12 months. Historically, when you see that kind of narrowness, the market does tend to broaden out, which would be a positive for the fourth quarter. Uh, but the other thing that I want to keep talking about too, is that this economy has been resilient. Uh, there there are lots of doomsayers out there that say a recession is inv inevitable. They talk about the inverted yield curve, but none of that necessarily will happen. China is starting to rebound a little bit. We saw a very strong day on Friday from Chinese stocks. So again, this is a time to be cautious because right now, Treasury bonds offered a real return, and that's great for investors. Well, let's talk about that. Of course, you know, the 10-year Treasury almost at 4.5%. That's a number that gets people's attention. And so now bonds are a real alternative, and there's, you know, there's now yields out there. Right. Well, yields got abs absurdly low during, during and post-pandemic. I mean, near 0% in CDs and money market funds. Now you're getting north of 5% on a Treasury bill, 5% on a money market fund, which we've taken advantage of for our clients. 
But historically, if you invest close to when the Fed is done hiking rates, you've been very happy over the subsequent one to two years. I'm not suggesting the Fed is going to hike rates one more time, but the end is close. And the end is close. And of course, we're going into the fourth quarter. And that is going to be a time when earnings start to come out. And we're going to start getting into good comparisons comparatively from what we've had in the past. Right. And by that, you mean last year in the first and second quarters, earnings were negative on a year over year basis. So in essence, you could say we had an earnings recession. Uh, This quarter, the estimates have started to rise for the first time uh, in 2023. And estimates in 2024 are also starting to go a little bit higher. Now, that may be associated with product activity gains from AI. It could be because companies are managing their costs well. But generally speaking, if you're investing in companies that generate free cash flow and are able to, able to pass along costs to consumers, you're in good shape. Good. Excellent point. And of course, folks, you do know that we give portfolio analysis for everyone who comes to the door. I encourage you to do that because how you are aligned as we go into the fourth quarter will matter. We figure since you're listening to this show, you have a keen interest in investment and retirement planning, and that's what we do. You also might think, I don't know. I mean, do should I be at Annex Wealth Management? I'll tell you. There's a place for everybody. We have Annex Ignite for people that are just starting out. We have Annex Comprehensive Wealth, and we have Annex Private Client if you have a complex situation and you have high net worth. It all starts at AnnexWealth.com and click that Get Started button. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, Saturday, September 23rd, one week from October. Going to be right back on 620 WTMJ. We're back on Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, the final weekend of September. It's late September. I really should be back at school. Ah, funny Remember? you. Rod Stewart, I'd say early 70s, yeah, right? Yeah, 71. Nice. 71. So if that was a big song for you, you understand what Rod was talking about. It's 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 late in the year. Is it time to get with a fee-only fiduciary? We'd love to start at AnnexWealth.com. I'm Danny Clayton, Derek Felsky, our Chief Investment Officer. Dave Swano is our President and CEO. You know, I got to tell you, I did see Rod Stewart play for a friend of mine. It was his birthday party pretty well-heeled guy, and he actually had Rod Stewart at his birthday party. It was amazing. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, we talk about positioning a lot, and what that really means is how you position your portfolio, and everyone's asset allocation that comes through the door in any one of our offices, they have different looks. As we go through those portfolios, Derek, we have to understand how everyone is allocated. Right. I mean, you know, we think about fixed income, equities, and uh, alternatives, and when I think about fixed income, given where we are in the cycle, credit spreads are very tight which means there's a low risk of default, at least perceived by market participants at the time. But we're getting a little bit more cautious in credit as interest rates continue to move higher and some companies have to refinance at much higher rates than they did in the past. So in fixed income, we're going to gradually increase our duration, meaning our exposure to lower interest rates, not higher interest rates, and reduce our credit exposure. On the equity side, sort of the same thing. We're somewhat defensively positioned. We're roughly neutral between equities and fixed income. We do anticipate taking that equity rating up as we believe the Fed is closer and closer to halting this rate hike cycle. And we're focused on companies that generate free cash flow with a value tilt. And we're starting to see this pullback and maybe there's an opportunity to reallocate now. And so if you're going through this, this is a good time to get an analysis of what you own because there's some allocation opportunities. You know, you and I have been talking for maybe four or five months now that we're going to start to see higher for longer. And that's the state that we've been putting out there for a long time. Right, and, and I think uh, I think we're going to probably be amending that soon to high for longer. I don't know necessarily that rates necessarily have to go higher. They just are going to probably stay at around these levels. No housing affordability is very, very tough right now. It 
it's very it costs a lot more money now to buy a home and that's causing some negativity in the housing sector uh, we know that the semiconductor industry is starting to see a depletion of inventory so that's a positive there are a couple of upgrades in that sector this week and there's just a lot of opportunities that are going to present themselves because a few months ago we were talking about that fear and greed index being above 70 and i said over and over again and, and you agreed that now is not a time to be too aggressive on the tech side in particular in highly valued stocks but now that fear and greed indicator is down to 40 so it's at a, at a greed a fear level which is a much more opportunistic spot in which to take a look at your equity exposures so let's talk about the potential issues when there's higher rates of course companies go out and borrow in the open market when they have to refinance this debt that they have they're going to have to pay a significantly higher amount this could cause some stress in some areas that that's true and there's also is an opportunity because we know that corporate balance sheets are flush with cash. Well, guess what? They're earning 5% on that cash. So that's a good thing. Perhaps they're using that to fund uh, AI investment and the like. Uh, But the real dangers are the Fed has already raised rates too aggressively and will pause longer than needed, uh, creating some sort of credit event, or that the economy stays hot and forces the Fed to raise rates further than than even they think. And we're monitoring that on a daily and weekly basis, as you know, as an investment committee. So let's talk about a credit event and something you've been saying now for months. Explain what that means. Well, a, a credit event is simply where somebody basically is in a bad position on their balance sheet. Uh, we saw that with Silicon Valley Bank. They they had a, a poor risk management as far as uh, rising rates. I'm sure there are others out there that are holding lots of bonds that are underwater because when rates rise, the value of those bonds diminishes. And if you're forced to sell them, that essentially impairs your balance sheet and perhaps causes you to sell other assets, which can create what we call a credit event. That is typically what happens at the end of a cycle. The question is, is this a normal cycle or not? I think it's a little different than past cycles because of COVID. Yeah, I agree with that. And of course, folks, as you go through the portfolios and you understand from the bottom up, you know, what you own, and that's what we're talking about. A lot of, you know, the, the macro conversations we have, that's from the top down, but we do bottom up analysis and you should do the same. Real quickly, Derek, what does that mean? Well, what it means is we overweight areas that we believe are more have more opportunity going forward. We like healthcare. We like the valuations there. We like the demographics. We like the fact that the U.S. is a leader. We like the energy sector because the free cash flow those companies are generating is enormous. They pay nice dividends and they're buying back shares. And then finally, we have selected exposure to higher quality companies that we believe will weather weather the cycle, whether we have a a short-term recession or not. Good. Nice job. Derek Felsky, Chief Investment Officer, Dave Spano, President and CEO. Investment, retirement planning, tax planning, and estate planning. We do it as a fee-only fiduciary. That's the way we roll, and we'd like to do it with you. Head to the website, AnnexWealth.com. Okay, you were set to retire, but for any number of reasons, you're going to go a little longer. There are silver linings when it comes to postponing retirement, and we'll talk about them right after a break on Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show on 620 WTMJ. Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management? Amy Brammer, Wealth Manager at Annex Wealth Management, joins us. Hey, Amy. Hi, Danny. You know, it is hard to keep up, folks. During the pandemic, many chose early retirement. Now, if that wasn't you, but boy, did that sound good. You might have had a date penciled in on the calendar for when you wanted to retire. But then markets got volatile. You started thinking of maybe waiting a little longer. Don't be bummed about that. There is a silver lining. We've got a list of reasons why it might not be so terrible to delay retirement. And you wouldn't be alone. But 40% of workers are planning to push retirement later in life due to inflation. And that's according to a recent study by the Nationwide Retirement Institute. Amy, what are the potential positives? 
Thanks, Danny. First positive is you give yourself more time to save and invest. Right. We, we've talked often about not timing the market, but time in, in the market. In the market, absolutely. And most retirees feel that once they hit that magic number of $1 million, they're ready to retire. But unfortunately for most Americans, they're nowhere near that number. Vanguard put out a survey earlier this year, and it said most folks who are between the ages of 45 and 54 have around a 61,000. Mm. And then the folks that are aged 55 to 64 have around 90,000. That's nowhere near that magic number. So by working longer, it gives you more time to earn income and live off that income, save and invest for your future retirement. Delaying retirement. The second point is, is you can delay Social Security. And as we know, if you wait longer, you get more. That's exactly correct. So as much as you are able to start collecting Social Security at age 62, that's not always the best decision for most folks. Um, you have a full retirement age, which allows you to start collecting either at 66 in some months or age 67 for most folks. But the longer you wait to take Social Security, it continues to grow. So if you're still working at your job and living off of your income, kind of keeping that Social Security on the shelf, that's still growing. And the latest you can take it is at age 70. You know, it's hard for us to do that, though, right? Remember that 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 study with the kids, they give them one marshmallow. Yes. But if they waited 15 minutes, they could have two. I failed that took, test. I, I failed, did it. It's I, terrible. I have no patience. But you know, there's an actual math behind it, right? And and when I went through my plan at Annex, I wanted Social Security at 62, and I was given great reasons why not to do that. Yeah. And part of it is it's better off to wait in your specific financial plan. Everyone has their own financial plan based on their income, their spending levels. And for some folks, it makes sense to start at 62. For some people, it doesn't. Yeah. Third reason for choosing to delay retirement, you like what you do. Danny, I cannot tell you how many folks that I work with here at Annex who I am begging for them to retire. They love their jobs. They love getting up in the morning. They're passionate about what they do. They got a sense of purpose. And a lot of folks are, they don't know what they would do if they didn't work. So if you're happy in your job and you love what you're doing, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Amen. We're with Amy Bremer, Wealth Manager at Annex Wealth Management. Don't be too disappointed if you've put off retirement in light of inflation and the economy. Another reason would be? You have work benefits Uh that end when you retire. Work benefits, things like 401k, Roth, and traditional with a company match. This is free money, people. Another option that you get are health benefits, dental benefits, vision benefits. Medicare covers health if you're age 65, but there's no dental or vision. And a lot of times if you retire before the age of 65, you're on the hook for your own medical insurance in addition to dental and vision like everybody else. And that ain't cheap. No, sorry, Bob. On the Affordable Care Act exchanges, you may qualify for some subsidies, but a lot of people don't. Putting off retirement, not ideal, but there are some silver linings. Our last reason is is you can wait out inflation. Inflation. I feel like that's a four-letter word. Continuing to work and living off of that paycheck and that income, it helps to lessen the blow that inflation is causing right now. Would it have been great to take early retirement? 
yeah, maybe if you could swing it. But if you're putting off retirement because of what's going on, there are some silver linings that we just covered. What's our bottom line, really? Bottom line is, is that there's no magic formula for retirement. Retirement is an individual decision based on individual data points that are specific just to you. So that's the benefit of working with a certified financial planner here at Annex to help guide you through those decisions and make sure that you're choosing an informed path. Maybe, folks, you didn't have the right plan in the first place. Maybe you could retire with a plan built from a fee-only fiduciary. For investment and retirement planning, tax planning, and estate planning, know the difference? Our website is AnnexWealth.com. Click that Get Started button. Amy Bremer, Wealth Manager at Annex Wealth Management. Thanks for your time. My pleasure, Danny. Before we get to news, I want to tell you again, Navigating the Markets, a premier event with Annex Wealth Management, happens Tuesday in Mequon, Concordia University, October 3rd, Madison at the Marriott, October 5th, Brookfield, Sherilyn Wilson Center, October 10th in Appleton. All the details at AnnexWealth.com. Look for the Events tab. Bottom of the hour, let's go to the WTMJ Breaking News Center. Time for Ask Annex. Got a question? You head to our website, AnnexWealth.com. We love them when they come in. Some wind up on the radio, some don't. We get back to everybody. It's AnnexWealth.com. Look for the Ask tab. If we can help, you click that Get Started button in the studio. Sarah Kyle, a wealth manager at Annex Wealth Management. Welcome. Hi, Danny. And Fred Coleman, wealth manager at Annex Wealth Management. Welcome to you. Thanks, Danny. First question. I have unexpectedly been given an inheritance that's $5,000 every year for nine years. My student loans aren't bad. They're $13,000. I'm getting married next year and want to purchase a house. I've heard that when people pay off their student loans, their credit plunges. I'm conflicted. What should I do? Well, first off, celebrate. Yeah, celebrate the windfall. That's very nice. But when applying for a mortgage, the lenders consider your debt-to-income ratio. So paying off that student loan can reduce your debt-to-income. That might make it easier to qualify for a mortgage and potentially get a better interest rate. So I would just assess your overall financial goals. If you have other high-interest debts, such as credit cards, it may be more beneficial to pay those off first before tackling that student loan. Sometimes when you do pay off an account that's pretty old, it can take a slight hit to your credit. But like Sarah said, the biggest thing is going to be your debt to income ratio. Usually your debt to income ratio should be no more than 28% of your gross income. That's the most important thing. And then also financial planning with your future spouse to make sure that both of you are on the same page probably a different topic, but we pay off a loan and our credit score goes down. That's, that's crazy. That's, yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> Next up on Ask Annex, my house is paid for, so my only housing obligation are yearly property taxes. I've got a beneficiary IRA, which has an RMD. The RMD amount nearly equals my property taxes. Instead of accruing the amount for taxes monthly, does it make sense instead to use the RMD to pay for them? Sometimes a lot of people do earmark their RMDs for property taxes or other year-end expenses. So that strategy can work. Ultimately, it comes down to personal preference if you like to pay monthly or pay annually. One thing to consider with a beneficiary IRA is the 10-year rule. And that rule states that a beneficiary IRA needs to be liquidated by the 10th year following the original owner's death. want to make sure that if your beneficiary IRA is within that 10-year rule, then you want to make sure you know that you won't be able to do that forever. Next up on Ask Annex, my son has a new car loan, and she names the interest and thinks he needs to be aggressive on paying it off. In order to do that, he's considering pausing his 401k contributions. Seems like a bad idea to me. Help. (laughs) Now, I said her. 
I'm assuming this is a mom question. <laughs> That's definitely Before a that, mom question. Before that, we turn to the mom, Sarah. <laughs> Men never ask for help. Only women do, I guess, right? Yeah. Uh, well, by contributing to that 401k consistently, your son definitely benefits from that power of compound interest. So over time, his investments can grow substantially, and missing out on even a few years of contributions can really have a significant long-term impact. So instead of completely stopping that 401k contribution, your son could consider reducing the contribution amount temporarily while maintaining eligibility for that employer match. Now that's free money. So you just always want to make sure you're contributing enough to get that if he's eligible for that. And then this way he can progress on both debt repayment and retirement savings. There's no better return than that free match. That's a 100% return. Um, and that far outweighs the 7% interest rate that he'd be paying on the car. Also, before paying off that 7% interest rate on the car, if he's completely debt-free, then it's a consideration. But if he has other higher interest debt, then those should be addressed first. And our final question on Ask Annex. I turned 40 this year and I've got about $40,000 spare cash I'd like to invest somewhere with a goal of making it a million dollars in 10 years by the time I turn 50. I'm open to suggestions how to invest the money. We are debt-free with a house and cars paid off and are maxing out our 401ks. Well, good job so far. You're doing all the right things as far as making sure you paid off debt, maxing out 401k. So it's good that you want to invest a little bit more. The first step is really just writing down the numbers and figuring out what type of return that you need to accomplish this goal. Once that's figured out, you could match potential investments with that level of return. But it's also about how much risk do you want to take? How flexible are your goals? Are you willing to wait longer than 10 years? Are you able to save even more than the 5000 And also, how much liquidity do you want with your investments? All these things need to be considered in a plan before we could make a recommendation. With that 10-year time horizon, you can take more risk and you're going to need a hefty return. So you're going to have to be aggressive. So a nice diversified stock portfolio could help achieve that goal. But the key too is you are going to need to be consistent. 10 years is a long time. And when those markets pull back, it's very hard to keep that consistent contribution. So that's super important when you're accumulating, stay the course, stay consistent in your contribution strategy. And just remember, you want the volatility when you're accumulating because now you get the opportunity to buy some stocks on sale. Sarah Kyle, Wealth Manager, Annex Wealth Management. Thank you. You're welcome, Danny. Fred Coleman's a Wealth Manager at Annex Wealth Management as well. Thanks to you. Thanks for having me. Hey, if you're gonna work with a financial advisor, it needs to be the right fit for both parties. How do you determine that? We'll talk about it next. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show on 620 WTMJ. Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management? Mark Beck, Managing Director, Wealth Management Services and a Wealth Manager at Annex. Welcome back. Thank you. Folks, if you're a regular listener, you might be one of four types, a client of Annex Wealth Management. And if that's the case, thank you. The second is maybe you're working with somebody else, but we know you're gleaning valuable information from this show. We want you to know the difference with Annex. The third, a do-it-yourselfer. Fourth is somebody who doesn't work with anybody or do much planning at all because you're going to figure it out later. The relationship with Annex and our clients is a two-way street, and we ask just as many questions as our clients. It needs to be a great fit on both sides. We're going to run through a five-point list of questions that you need to ask yourself when it comes to deciding if working with Annex Wealth Management is the correct move. And Mark, the first is, do you need help with financial planning, or are you just looking for stock tips? Well, that's a really great question, a good place to start right there. 
If you're doing all your own planning on your own and you're looking for great stock tips, you know, there are a lot of wonderful newsletters out there and things you can subscribe to. If you're looking for a relationship with a wealth management firm, you're looking for a lot more than that. You're looking for an understanding of risk and liquidity needs. And you're looking for long range strategy. You're looking for execution and support guidance, really planning. That's really what you should be expecting out of the relationship with a comprehensive wealth management firm. If you're just looking for those hot stock tips, you know, you're not going to really meld together well and have a strategy that really is going to be in your best interest. Another question to ask yourself is, are you ready to follow advice or do you just want to hear what you want to hear? You know, the place where this might be common would be you start the relationship and you're thinking to yourself, well, I've got a tax person. So I'm not going to give you my tax return, and we don't need to talk about that. And I did an estate plan, so I don't know why you need to see you know the estate plan. I've got somebody for that. What you're missing is how we can bring all of those things together and be there along the way, because this might not be the year that there's some impact on your estate plan, for example, but it is likely to show up in your personal situation as it evolves, in how the laws and rules evolve and change over time, and the coordination of all of those areas. So the willingness to open up and be ready to engage and share information and then look for advice is so important in that. We're with Mark Beck, Managing Director of Wealth Management Services and a wealth manager at Annex Wealth Management. List of five questions to ask yourself because working with an advisor is a two-way street and it works best when there's an open line of communication. Here's another one. Do you have the discipline to stay the course? Sometimes stay the course is the right answer. Most people are thinking right now about the investment portfolio. We're in a bear market period. Should I be doing something different? Well, now is a good time where there should be adjustments to the portfolio. But in the middle of a price correction environment, for example, stay the course is exactly the right answer at that time. But you also should think about it a little bit more broadly. Stay the course can be, okay, we've got a good plan on track here. Let's stay on this path and stay committed to the action items that we've mapped out over time and not get distracted from our long-range planning by the short-term nature of what's happening in the investment markets right now. I've also heard when times are volatile, like they are, and someone calls with a concern, many times a wealth manager will say, but the plan still works. Yeah, and this is an understanding of the nuances of the plan, how it's built, and how it incorporates many different types of risk. So, for example, we're in a down market period, but we're testing your financial planning through good and bad periods from this point forward. So just because you're seeing a decline in portfolio values doesn't mean your financial plan is completely knocked off track. You've kind of answered the fourth question is, do you have a good understanding of risk? That's important. Risk in many different types though, right? So everybody thinks about risk in terms of the investment portfolio, and that's important. That's risk in terms of what kind of downside volatility do I have to stomach, but also risk in terms of do I have to change my lifestyle if I'm in my retirement years. But don't forget about other types of risk. Pass away too early, lose an income stream. Tax risk can be really important as well. Those are all pieces of the puzzle. Here's the fifth, and it's kind of my favorite. To what extent would access to the knowledge and technology of Annex Wealth Management to assess and manage investments improve your financial life versus doing it yourself? 
you know, some of the most successful people you know, they value the input of professionals who are focused on their area. I always liken this to a plumbing project. Five trips to Home Depot and I may get the plumbing project adequately done, but never as well and as simply and as professionally as hiring the plumber. That's really good. We'll leave it at that. For investment and retirement planning, tax planning, and estate planning, we do it as a fee-only fiduciary. Know the difference? Website, AnnexWealth.com. Click that Get Started button. Start the wealth metric process. Good stuff. Mark Beck, Managing Director, Wealth Management Services, and a wealth manager at Annex Wealth Management. Thank you for your time. My pleasure. Quick reminder before we go to break, Navigating the Markets, a premier presentation from Annex Wealth Management. First one happens Tuesday in Mequon, Concordia University. October 3rd, we're in Madison at the Marriott. October 5th, Brookfield, Sharon Lynn Wilson Center. October 10th in Appleton. All of the details at AnnexWealth.com. Look for the Events tab. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show on 620 WTMJ. We're back, and a quick reminder that this show is going to be available as a podcast at the top of the hour, wherever you get your podcast. Might be Apple Podcasts, might be Spotify. We know there are many of those places that you can find podcasts. I'm Danny Clayton. Brian Jacobson joins me. He is Chief Economist at Annex Wealth Management. Welcome. It's great to be here. We're going to have a conversation about private equity, what it is, what it isn't, and then how it could impact clients of Annex Private Client. I guess we'll start off publicly traded equities. I know what that is. And then there's private equity and there is a difference. There is. And really, there's a number of differences between them. If you think of public equities, when you turn on your favorite television channel, CNBC, Bloomberg, Fox Business News, whatever, you will see the stock market. And so when we're talking about public equities, it's about those things that are traded on the public exchanges. In the United States, there are approximately 4,200 public companies that are traded on exchanges. Private companies, those that aren't traded on the exchanges, there are probably 420,000 of them out there. Now, some of those are sole proprietorships, single member companies, maybe a partnership. Private equity really tries to look at some of the bigger private companies that are out there. So they're not publicly traded, but they're big enough where maybe they need to bring in some money to support an idea that they're developing, development of maybe their production facilities, or just they're looking to expand their operations. It's capital fuel for their fire, right? really is. Any examples of these companies? If you have ever called Digger's Hotline and somebody's come out to mark where like the gas line and electric line is, the biggest company in the United States that does that, that's a private company. So there's actually a number of private equity firms that have helped fund that through private equity. There's a phrase, general public. Does that mean that private equity isn't for everybody? That's correct. And that's one of the reasons why we view it as something for private clients. It requires a certain minimum minimum amount of investable assets or income or education in order to understand all the risks associated with it. Because publicly traded companies, there's lots of transparency, lots of oversight from the Securities Exchange Commission. There's not as much. So there's a lot more risk associated with private equity. Let's talk about those risks. What are they? Well, some of the biggest risks that we have is as far as the liquidity. So liquidity refers to your ability to convert an asset into cash. If you wanted to sell a stock, 
you can do that pretty easily. If you wanted to sell a private company, that is very difficult to do. And so the vehicles that are created to invest in these private companies where you pool together people's money, you're oftentimes locked up for many, many years before you can start getting your money back. So what would be the appeal? Well, the appeal is in terms of the possible reward. These are oftentimes small companies. Maybe they serve a niche area. They have a dominant market share, so good profit margins, and it's that growth opportunity. So it's really that ability to take that long-term view and the possible returns that could come from that. Is there a greater risk and potentially the greater reward? That's really the trade-off there. The different risk, the greater reward that you hope for, and the different types of risks. It's not just the liquidity. It's also the transparency of these companies as well as far as the financial statement. Private equity has been in the headlines a little bit lately because it has probably been nicked up the same way that everybody else has with the higher interest rates. What does that say for broader markets in the general economy? Yeah, some people are really concerned that the volatility that we've seen in the markets, higher interest rates, it's increased the operating or really the financing costs of these private companies. They oftentimes tend to have a little bit more debt a little bit more leverage than what you see with publicly traded companies. And as a result, is this going to affect their operations more than other people's. So public equities, they actually represent about one third of all employment in the United States. Private equity and even smaller companies, that's like two thirds. So it's a big chunk of the economy. The concern is also that if somebody wants to get out of these private equity positions, sometimes in market drawdowns, you can't sell what you want, you need to sell what you can. And if you can't sell the private equity, the fear is, are you going to start selling the public equity instead? And you get this snowballing effect. For those that qualify, and it makes sense to be to at least look into private equity, how do they access that? It can be very difficult. It is about who you know and who you work with. Uh, we work with a number of different partners, vet a lot of private equity firms to assess opportunities. So oftentimes you will hear of some of these bigger companies, just to name a few of them out there. There's like the Blackstones, the KKR, mm-hmm. the Apollos, but you can't just go to their website and invest. You need to go through somebody, and that's what we work on with appropriate clients when it's right for their situation. Again, Annex Private Client is set up for those higher net worth clients of ours who have fairly complex needs and approaches. That's right. And it is really an individualized decision about is the client educated about the risks possibilities, and then how does it help them in their entire financial journey? Because it's not something you want just for vanity's sake to say, hey, I have it. It needs to be a tool that's used to accomplish a goal. Brian Jacobson is our chief economist at Annex Wealth Management. Nice look into private equity. Thank you. Thank you. I'm sure you have noticed we are on the doorstep of October. A change in season, and it's time to investigate what Annex can do for you. We're ready to work for you as a fee-only fiduciary partner. Only takes a couple of minutes to get that conversation started. Click that Get Started button at AnnexWealth.com. We'll be back here next Saturday at 10 a.m. Thank you for listening. It's Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show on 620 WTMJ.